series, we're going to talk about something that is a favorite of everyone in this room. We're going to talk about waiting, which is something we all hate to do. Whether you acknowledge it or not, it's true. And uh, yet we're going to talk about how we can learn to wait well. My name is Dion. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome you. Welcome also those of you who are joining us online. You know, if you follow along in our communication piece and you look ahead to the uh, preaching schedule, you know that uh, Steve Hauer, our senior pastor, was supposed to be up preaching this weekend. And, uh, and yet late last week, um, Steve Hauer's mom, who's had a prolonged battle with illness um, on Friday of last week, uh, went home to see Jesus. And so Steve is now um, in Indiana with his, uh, with his wife and then also his, his siblings, and they're gathering for a memorial service on Tuesday. And, um, you know, I, over 25 years, this man has, uh, has been a pastor to some of you for that long, some of you for only a, a portion of that period, and he's prayed for you um, while you've gone through loss, and it just seems right that we'd pray for him and his family right now. So bow your heads with me. Father, we pray for the, the Hauer family uh, at the loss of Steve's mom. We thank you that she was a woman of faith and that, that uh, this, this, uh, this, this uh, event, this death is not the final say, that you've conquered death and that she's now been given eternal life, life that's full and that goes on forever. And God, we thank you that you've made death your servant in her life. And we, we pray that you just give Steve and his family a, a great time together celebrating her life and the life that she now has in you forever for the restoration of her body and mind and for the things that only you can do. We pray you'd give them uh, just a sweet time as a family, bring them back safely, shepherd them through this. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as I said, uh, today we're going to talk about waiting, the first week in a series on waiting. And you know, you kind of need a whole series to talk about waiting because we are so terrible at it that maybe by the end it might finally start getting through and might start changing us. But you know, I, I think waiting has always been difficult for people all throughout time. We'll see that in this series. But I think lately, in recent times, waiting has become even more difficult because it's something that we have to do less and less. You know, sometimes we've been called the microwave society, right? Because, uh, you know, what it used to take hours to cook, you can put it in the microwave and nuke for uh, a minute and a half. Um, but, you know, that, man, I, I think we just should put that term aside because so many other amazing things have happened since the invention of the microwave, which probably have not helped our patients at all. Uh, we, we could be called the on-demand society or the DVR, the TiVo society, Right? Because no longer do you have to wait for your favorite show to be on TV. You don't have to order your life around it. You can make it, order, you know, be ready whenever you're ready. And you can fast forward through the commercials, right? You guys are acting like you don't do this. So pious this morning. What gives? You know it. I mean, you just fast forward through that stuff. You've got no patience for commercials anymore. Why do you need to? We're a society that has drive throughs for everything, not just fast food restaurants, but the pharmacy, you know, the, the bank, the coffee shop. We've even got you scan lines at the grocery store. No longer do you have to wait for the chatty cashier in aisle three to, you know, get done with everyone. You're tapping your watch saying, come on, you can go and do it yourself at your own speed in a U-scan lane. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's late November and it's almost time, but, but nowadays, if you want to sing Christmas, Christmas carols in October, go ahead, right? You don't need to wait. There's some radio station, obnoxious radio station, playing Christmas carols from about September, and, and you can get a Pandora channel or an iTunes radio. I mean, right? You don't have to wait for that stuff anymore. If you want Christmas carols, sing them whenever you want. They're available for you. And don't even get me started on email, right? It used to be that if you wanted to get a message to someone, and, uh, you'd have to actually write it down on paper, probably like on parchment, and seal it with wax and give it to some guy who'd ride a pony, 
right? Across America, six weeks later, maybe your message gets there, but you don't know. You got to wait six weeks more, and he's got to dodge smallpox and everything else to get back to you with a response. I mean, that's how it used to be if you had something important to say. And now, a days, you got some guy in your office who presses send on an email, and then 10 seconds later, he's standing over your shoulder saying, hey, did you read my email? It's annoying, right? I mean, we're no good at waiting. In fact, more and more things happen in society that make us less and less good at this part of life. And yet, things will happen in life that will require you to wait no matter how convenient society becomes. And today I just want you to do a reality check at the start of this series and ask yourself, say, okay, how good am I at waiting? On a scale of 1 to 10, if 10 is, all good things come to those who wait. And 1 is, oh my gosh, are you still talking? Get on with it. Which one are you? Assess yourself somewhere on that spectrum. Because throughout this series, we're going to spend time talking about how to wait well. You know, as the world waits poorly for Christmas, and, you know, there are Christmas trees up everywhere, and Christmas music, and, and you know, by the time you actually get to Christmas Eve, you're kind of done with it, right? You're just like, are, can we move on already? As the world waits poorly for just about everything, we're, we're going to learn how to wait well. And we're going to do it by looking back in the Bible at people who had to wait under different circumstances. And as Jeff said at the beginning, some of them wait really well and we can take notes and learn from them. And some of them wait really poorly and we can learn what not to do. Today, in fact, we're going to start with uh, one of the best known couples in all of the Bible. No, not Mary and Joseph. That's later. We've got to wait for them. No, not David and Bathsheba. Not them either. No, not Simon and Garfunkel. They weren't even in the Bible. Uh, today we're going to talk about Abram and Sarai, who you might know better by the names of Abraham and Sarah. Their names got changed later. And if you don't know them at all, today you're going to learn more about them. And we're going to look at how they waited. In fact, how they waited not so well. Uh, we're going to look at the narrative that comes out of their life from Genesis chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to take it out right now. It's the first book in the Bible, Genesis is. So it's easy to find. You can take out your smartphone or your tablet and go to uversion.com, uversion.com, and go to live, type in STJSTL. We're going to have the words right up here for you in just a second. Uh, let me tell you this about Abram before we dive into Genesis 15. Um, three chapters earlier in Genesis 12, God has already appeared to Abram, who at the time was in his 70s, and he made him a promise. He said, Abram, you're childless, but I'm going to make you into a father of a great nation. Just follow what I say, and I'm going to do this for you. And so Abram's been following God on this great adventure, and uh, some time has passed, and here we'll find him again in Genesis chapter 15. Take a look. <clears throat> Take a look. Seriously? Did someone turn the TV off? I don't have time for this. Um, yeah, actually, I think someone did turn the TV off, but I think I know how to do this technology, right? Oh, let's see. No. All right, we're just going to go without the TV today, I guess. Oh, there we go. Life is good. Little LG product placement. Um, they'll pay us for that later. Okay, maybe? We'll see. All right, we'll just go without it. Um, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. So at this time, um, Abram is a guy who has been uh, just coming from a military conflict. He's been coming from battle. So uh, he just was provoked in battle by this king of a foreign army. 
Um, Abram didn't want to fight him, but, you know, he picked a fight with Abram. And so Abram fights this guy, and, uh, and he comes away victorious. So he's a, he's a mighty warrior. He's just taken away a bunch of spoils of war. Abram's already wealthy, but he becomes even wealthier. And uh, here God appears to him and says, Abram, I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. God is saying, Abram, I've got something in mind for you, something great. It's coming in your future. Um, just wait for it. It's, it's going to be great. But, but uh, look what Abram says back to him. Abram says, uh, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Um, so Abram's basically saying, You know what? <laughs> this is all great. You can bless me all you want, but I'm an old man, and I've got no descendants. And so now... You know, basically, what does this all mean? You can give me riches, you can give me fame. I've got no one to leave it to. And, and in fact, there's this guy in my household, a servant of mine, who's going to be my heir. That's the best I can do. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, I've basically adopted him, and, and that's all I get. And then it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So Abram's this man, and, and he's starting to get impatient. He's saying, God, what are you doing? How are you going to make me into a great nation when I don't even have a single heir? And God says, Abram, j just wait, just wait. I I'm going to actually bring you an heir out of your own flesh and blood, not some adopted servant. And, and then I love this. God takes him outside, and he says, look up at the sky. And I mean, you know, we're out here in the West, and so you can imagine going out further away from the city lights and seeing the stars in the sky. Now imagine an, an ancient Near Eastern sky with no city lights. I mean, imagine looking up at all the stars that Abram saw in that moment. And God says, Abram, I'm so powerful, I'm so good, that I'm going to give you more descendants than the stars in the sky. And then there comes that verse, it's uh, verse 6. It says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. A great verse in the Bible, the book of Romans picks up on this and talks about it. The Reformation uh, leaders talked about this in, in the Middle Ages. I mean, man, that we don't stand before God because of our deeds, because of our works. We stand by faith. And, and in fact, when we have faith, when we trust God, he gives us righteousness as a credit for our faith. And, and so here we have Abram, this great man of faith. And just think about how crazy this promise is that God has made him. Abram, you're a very old man, you're, you're well into your 70s, and, and yet you're going to be a father of a great nation, more numerous than the stars in the sky. I mean, think about how crazy it is that Abram has the courage, the gall, whatever you want to call it, to believe God in this moment. At his age, after he's waited so long already. But, but Abram knew, he knew that God could accomplish it, that God could do it. He just wasn't sure how. So he waited, and he waited, and he waited. We don't know how long he waited, but eventually he starts to get antsy, like we all would. He's already too old 
biologically, his wife sure is, and they're not getting any younger. And besides Abram, Abram's a take-charge kind of guy. He's, he's a wealthy guy, he's a warrior, he's been successful, he's not a passive guy. I mean, God called Abram when he was living far off in another region and said, basically, leave everything you know, you're an old man, 70 plus years old, leave everything you know, travel to this new place, I'm going to do something great with your life. And Abram says, okay, he's not passive, he's a go-getter. And, and so all of this collides and he starts rethinking, you know, time goes on and he waits on God and, and there's no child coming from his own body and so he starts rethinking, not doubting, but rethinking this promise, you know, wh- what did God mean, really? M- maybe I misunderstood it, Abram thinks. Maybe this is like a riddle. Maybe, maybe there's some part of this that, that if there's a clue here for me in this, and, and I'm supposed to do something to make this happen. And, and more time passes, and he keeps waiting, and eventually he and his wife, they can't take it anymore. And that's when we come to Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Sorry the TV isn't working. Just follow along in your Bible or uh, on your smartphone. Oh, it's working now. Great. Okay. Just make a liar of me all morning. Okay. You can see where I am on the scale, right? One to ten. <laughs> What's wrong with this TV? Okay, let's try it. I'm kind of afraid to step up here. Let's see. All right. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, now um, I love that, uh, that Sarai says, uh, you know, the Lord has done this. He's kept me from having this child, which I, I think is not true. It's not really the Lord's fault. Um, and yet she, she attributes the blame to the Lord. But I love this. This woman's got some moxie. She's like, but you know, we're not going to let that stop us, Abram. I've got a plan. I've got to work around for this. Uh, you just take my servant. And uh, you make her your wife, and, and I can build, you know, if the Lord isn't going to do it, I can build us a family through my servant. I've got a plan. Um, so uh, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, you don't have to watch hours of daytime TV to know where this is headed right? This is not headed anywhere good. Uh, Sarah thinks, oh, this is a brilliant plan. You know, it's going to work out fine. Uh, but it reminds me of this statement that, uh, this, this saying that Maya Angelou once said. Um, she said this, um, I did then what I knew how to do, but now that I know better, I do better. And I love that statement because all of us in life, we have things in our past that we totally botched. We made a mistake, we messed up, and, uh, and it's because we just, you know, we were operating with the most uh, with the best amount of knowledge that we had at the time, to the best of the knowledge that we had at the time, uh, you know, we were doing what we knew how to do then. And, uh, and today we take comfort in the fact that maybe we know a little better, and so we try to do a little bit better. But let me just say this about Abram and Sarai. I, I don't mean to be judgmental, but they should have known better. <laughs> Abram's 85 years old at this point. He should have known better. Life experience should have told him this was a very, very bad idea. We know it's not headed anywhere. I mean, even if you don't know the story, I mean, come on. How is this thing going to turn out? Well, let's look. When she knew she was pregnant, this is Hagar, the slave. Uh, When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. (laughs) Don't you love marriage? by the way. I mean, whose idea was this? 
was Sarai's, right? And she looks at her husband, and she's like, hey, buddy, this is your fault. It's just how we do it in marriage, right? Never want to own the blame ourselves. Um, I put my slave into your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me, Abram. She's calling him out. Abram responds, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think's best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Man, what a mess. It just goes to show you that sometimes not having at all, sometimes living without in the longing and the waiting is better than forcing the issue. Because just a short time ago, the biggest problem that Abram and Sarai had in their life was figuring out, get this, the biggest problem they had in their life was figuring out who to give their money to when they died. That was their biggest problem. They had a blessed life. And now they're in this situation where Abram's got these two sister wives who are duking it out. And there's this unborn child who's caught in the middle. And in uh, Sarai, this, this woman of dignity, I mean, her name means my princess. And, and all throughout this narrative so far, she's just been an incredible woman of dignity and honor. She's now reduced to pettiness and jealousy and abuse. And Hagar, this woman who presumably has been a very just dutiful, faithful servant to her mistress, is now reduced to pettiness and disrespect. And then Abram, this guy who's been a great hero and is this great man of faith, he, he's reduced to being a checked out husband who just wants to wash his hands of the whole deal and let the women deal with it. You know, a minute ago, Abram was crying out to God saying, well, I've got no one but Eliezer of Damascus. I mean, that was a way better solution than what they found now. And we've all seen this in life, haven't we? The folly of forcing the issue, of wanting something to happen so badly that we can't wait anymore, and so we force the issue. And because we forced the issue, things end up miserable. We've seen it in relationships, where you just can't wait for the relationship to progress and grow on its own. you just got, you got to force it. Or, or in parenting, or in business deals, or at work. You know, you, you think you're ready for that promotion, and you get that promotion, and then you realize you are not ready for it. Or in finances, having stuff, you know, acquisition. You, you want the house, and you want the family, and, and you just can't wait until life brings it to you. So you just go and get it. You take it by force, and... And then you live in regret. I mean, who of us doesn't know what that feels like, how awful that feels to know that you forced the issue, and because you forced the issue, you made a mess of things. But but here's what kills me in my own life. When I've done that, I think this is true for most of us. When I've done that, when I realize, oh my gosh, I forced the issue, I've made a mess, do do I stop and, and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, sort this out? Do I own that failure to people in my life? No. When I make a mistake, usually, you know, by forcing the issue, what do I do? I try to force a resolution, right? Well, if, if force didn't work the first time, maybe two forceful actions will make a right or something, right? And you just go, what? I mean, isn't that what Sarai's doing at this, at this point? I mean, she, she's in this uncomfortable place. She thinks, oh, no, what I've done is, is just ridiculous. And instead of owning that, instead of trying to make the best of it, she starts abusing her servant. Why? She's hoping she's going to run away. 
You know, if I can just humiliate her, if I can, if I can make her life miserable, she will go away and she will take the problem with her. And then Hagar's really no better. You know, she's living in this uncomfortable circumstance. We, we don't know exactly how Sarai was making her life miserable, but, but she decides, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to run away. And so, and so this single pregnant lady decides to run off into the, to the uh, wilderness of the Sinai. Not, not smart. And yet she's so eager to, to resolve this issue. See, we do this all the time. Impatience begets impatience. And so today, you know, we're going to talk about waiting a lot, but today I would just say this. At some point, you have to stop the madness. If you want to learn to wait well, just simply stop the madness. Just, just you know, press pause in there somewhere and, and learn to stop forcing the issue over and over again. Because forcing the issue is not good. It's better to wait. But here's what I want you to know, that even when you force the issue in the past and you've made a mess of things, here's what I want you to know, that waiting poorly, yes, it has consequences, but God is a God of grace. Your impatience is not going to solve anything. In fact, the more we force issues in our life, the more we will make messes. But don't you think that God is big enough to handle this? To sort it all out? He is. Let's uh, take a look at how this resolves. Or at least the beginning of the resolution. So the angel of the Lord found Hagar, Hagar who's just run away off into the wilderness, near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. You know the one, right? (laughs) And he said to Hagar, he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, Gosh, these are not words that she wants to hear, right? Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So here you have a bad situation that's gotten worse. Hagar's run away. And, and this angel appears and he just says, you know what, Hagar, stop the madness. <laughs> the situation isn't her fault. And yet he says, you know, just, just stop. And go back. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Now, now can you imagine how hard those words must have been for her to hear? But in God, in essence, God, in essence, says to her, you know, you, you got to go back and you got to wait. I know it's painful. I know you don't want to do it. I know you want to get out. I know anything other than this sounds better than the reality you're living under. And yet, if you just wait, I'm going to do something. See, further down the road, Sarai, uh, Hagar will have uh, a son named Ishmael. And God says, here, you know what? I'm going to bless him. And further down the road, Sarah is going to have a son named Isaac. And God says, and I'm going to bless him. And although their consequences and those two sons and their, and their lineage uh, will never fully get along. In fact, they'll be at each other. God says, you know what? Uh, you made a mess of this thing, but, but I'm a God of blessing. I'm just going to bless them both. If you can wait, I'll do it. 
See, I think that's just what some of us need to hear today. That although um, waiting poorly in the past has, has, have, has had consequences in our life, I, I think you just need to know that God is a God of grace. He's a God of blessing. And, and if you just stop the madness, if you stop trying to force the issue in your life, God can bring blessing in spite of the consequence. See, here's the thing. I, I know there's someone in here right now, today, right now in your life. There's something that you're wrestling with. There's an issue. There's something that's not coming fast enough. You're getting impatient. You're getting antsy. And, and the answer is wait. The answer from God is just, you know, just, just, just wait. But you are forcing the issue in your life right now. I, I know there are people in the room who are doing this right now. And I know sometimes it's hard to say, because sometimes in life, you know, God wants us to be persistent and to walk in faith. And sometimes God is saying, wait, and we're forcing the issue. How do you know the difference? Don't ask me, ask God, because I can't tell you. But God can. In fact, I think if you get quiet for more than just a couple of minutes, I, I think God's spirit can speak to your spirit, and he can tell you, you know, I want you to persevere and press on, or no, no, no. I just want you to back off. I want you to wait. See, there's some of you in this room right now, and, and, and you know, and if not, you're going to find out this week, if you take time to be quiet, that God's answer to you is, is just wait. Just wait. And I would love nothing more if, if I could save you from the heartache of forcing the issue. If you could just be better than Abram even, this great man of faith, and believe that waiting on God is better Going without, living in the tension is better than forcing the issue yourself. If you could just do that for one week even and, and come back next week and, and learn about another person who waited and learn about what God did in their waiting and, and, and you might even be able to see that God is, is doing something in this time of waiting if you let him, that will be incredible. And then I realized that there are others of us in this room for whom this advice is coming too late. And I just don't want you to think for one second that God's grace isn't big enough to cover over all the times that we mess up. You know what I do? I, it always surprises me. Um, sometimes when, when, I, when I tell people that I mess up a lot, um, there'll be someone after the service who goes, oh, we're just so thankful that you're honest, and it's so good to know that you mess up. And I'm always like, really? Like, I think it's pretty obvious that I mess up a lot. Um, just, you know, ask my family. Uh, but, but, you know, for me, and I, I've, I've made huge mistakes in my life, and I expect that before I'm done on this earth, I will make lots more. Uh, but when I'm really feeling like, man, I, I've made a huge mistake, and I've made such a big mistake, I've forced the issue, I've botched something in my life so badly that it is beyond the blessing of God now. Right? You, you felt that. When I feel that, when I think, I have messed this up so bad, this is too big even for God, do you know what I do? I look at the cross. And here's why I look at the cross. Uh, because the cross is the biggest example of human folly ever. If you ever want to find um, a great symbol of human impatience, Look at the cross, because there was this guy 2,000 years ago, Jesus of Nazareth, and he came like no one else, and he did miracles, and he taught, and half the people 
around him hated him because they thought he was blaspheming and they didn't like what he was saying. And the other half really liked him. But even that half who really liked him eventually turned on him because he wasn't doing it fast enough. He wasn't changing the world fast enough. He wasn't healing everyone. He wasn't turning the world upside down now, and they grew impatient. And together there was this nasty coalition of people who took Jesus and nailed him to a cross because they couldn't wait any longer. They had to do something. They had to bring resolution to the tension. Oh, and, and, then, and then a few hours later, on the third day, God raises Jesus from the dead, showing that he is in fact who he promised to be, because people just don't get raised from the dead. And, and, and so Jesus is in fact the Messiah, the Son of God, and that should have been a big, oh shoot, moment for all of humanity, right? Like, oh, we just killed the wrong guy. I mean, if, if anyone has ever been wrongly executed, it's this guy, and now he's back, and we're in trouble, right? You thought your boyfriend coming back was going to mean people were in trouble? You know the song. Come on. Uh, th- this is bad news, right? And yet, what did God do? He turned the cross, which, 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 is, which is the symbol of our shame, of, of just how badly we mess up even good things in life, a symbol of impatience, And now we've got them in churches, you know, a big one up in the front of the room, into our architecture. Why? Because God is a God who, who if we just wait on him, can turn even the the biggest debacle, the, the biggest, you know, example of human folly, he can turn it into blessing. He turned the cross into our redemption and our life and our freedom and our eternity forever. Isn't that incredible? So the next time you think that you've done something in your life, that, that you've forced the issue to a point that it is beyond the blessing of God and there is no hope for you, just look at the cross and you can know that while your actions bring complications and there are consequences for forcing the issue, God's grace, God's blessing is bigger than that. And so you may still be living a life that is complex, needlessly complex, but it can be a life that is complex but blessed. If you stop the madness and take a breath and learn to wait. And that's what I want to pray for, for all of us as we close here today. Father God, I ask that that you would help us be better with waiting Help us learn to wait on you. Father, um, in life so often, the pain that we're living under, the anticipation, the expectation, whatever it is, it becomes unbearable for us. And God, again, I just, I just want to pray for those who are in that tension right now and they're getting antsy. And I pray that you would breathe peace over their being right now. And give them the ability to wait on you. If, if for nothing more than this season, just to press pause to see what waiting feels like. And to give you a chance to do something. And God, I want to pray for all of us who feel regret. Some of us today, God, know that due to our impatience, we've made a mess of things and there are now consequences and 
God, we, we join people like Abram and Sarai and Hagar and, and the mess they made, and, and we get that. God, I pray today that you would remind us of your ability to bring blessing even out of our chaos, our self-created chaos. And give us the courage to wait on you to do something redemptive and good. Father, help us take a breath as we're about to begin a very busy season and teach us to wait for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.